This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This week, we're going to be touching on a topic that we do periodically because, well, we forget, and that is what's in standard? Does it matter? Is standard important? What's going on in the format that's supposed to drive competitive magic, which doesn't exist currently? Nope. So let's get started. Yeah. Uh, so right now, this kind of coincides with the summer lull that we're seeing. And uh, with this kind of debacle about what's going on in standard, people are tired of dealing with Theros and Throne. They're looking at standard 2022, which is kind of all over the place right now. Uh, there's a quick banning of, I forgot what it was, the... The faceless white haven, yeah, yeah. The, the enchantment that plays with faceless haven basically turns off your um, ability to play the game, because as long as you control an angel and faceless haven, when activated, is a creature of all types, you can't win the game, so you can't lose the game. At least I believe that's the card. Yep, it's it's platinum angel basically. <clears throat> yeah, so you put a token on your faceless haven, and at end of turn it deactivates, but the counter is still on faceless haven. And that means you can't lose the game, so you never reactivate Faceless Haven. Standard 2022 is a best-of-one format, and so people are kind of cranky about that. That said, we have four sets that we're going to be looking at in Zendikar Rising, Call Times, Trixhaven, School of Mages, and uh, D&D, uh, Adventures in Forgotten Realms. is kind of where we want to go for Standard. And uh, part of what I'm going to be doing in the Summer Lull is actually trying to look at Standard and see what I want to pick up for 2022. And I... I don't think that's a bad place to be for a lot of people right now. It's interesting that that's how you're approaching this, because what I'm actually doing is looking at, like, Cellar Dwelling in Standard 21, specifically okay. Ikoria. What are the cards from Ikoria that, because people are done with Standard, they're tired of it, whatever, yep. what are some unique, like, Commander effects? For Commander specifically, uh, as well as in Theros, what are some unique things that are kind of undervalued price-wise? Yep. Because those are the things that, you know, there's some that saw play at various points in Standard that may get dumped soon. And I'm looking at cards like that that I can buy in the dip. But that's because I deliberately do not try to stock Standard cards. But I still have to pay attention because I need to know when it's rotating, yeah. what's popular... Because it is something that, if it evens out a trade or something, I'm going to pay attention to. So it's interesting that we have two kind of different approaches to what rotation means to us I, and what we're going for. Yeah, for, for me, this one's um, a little more disparate than the rest of the rotations we've seen recently. I don't disagree, disagree with what you're doing, and I was talking to some people about this this weekend, but when Standard rotates, the only cards I'm really going to be looking for are the Triomes and any and all Companions from Aporia, yeah. and I don't care what face they come in, because they are yeah. going to maintain value. Um, through the rest of this stuff, what's out there, it doesn't. It feels like there's room to grow, but those have the most opportunity to live a long life. So for me, rotation really is kind of um, it, it's not a non-issue, but it means less to me now than it has yeah. previously. Now, because of standard 2022 and the hype around it. I want to start looking at some things, and I know there's. You start looking at stocks, and you're like, okay, what can I look at from like Zendikar, which is a great set for Standard 2022, especially with the MDFCs and you look Agadim's Awakening, Seagate Restoration, and you start seeing these cards up on top um, that are all uh, MDFCs that 
play well in standard right now and they play well in EDH and so that's kind of like where I, I really want to operate. My idea for this summer lull um, is to kind of take my Pioneer rotating standard cards and modern overstock and rotate them into EDH and standard staples. But there's actually a lot of overlap in that right now, which yeah. is kind of enticing for me. Uh, at the top of the call time list, which is the other set I want to really pay attention to, are uh, Vorinclex and Coma. And those are pretty decent EDH cards, right? And they may not hold their value forever, but these are the cards I'm going to watch as we move into rotation. And if they start to dip, then that's where I want to be. So I I think that's also touching. It's important that you mentioned that there's a lot of overlap for that right now, because that's something that we've touched on ad nauseum recently mm -hmm. in the cast, is that even while you're doing these things, while you're pivoting your inventory, there's still this over our, over our arching philosophy that you and I share of like, all right, but really, we want to make sure we're getting liquid stock. Yes. And we want something that's going to fit our client profile. Mm -hmm. And for me, my client profile, like most of the people I deal with don't play standard at all. So that's why I go the philosophy I do, where I'm trying to pick up companions, triumphs, stuff like that. Whereas I may also now be looking to unload anything I picked up that's good in standard 22 mm -hmm. from, you know, these the DFCs. Uh, yeah. Because those are... Actually, even though you're right, they're seeing a ton of play in standard. They're really good in standard right now. Those things are ridiculously liquid. Yeah. Like I've been very impressed by how multi-format they immediately became. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and in the best way. And I think that for me, those are the one card from the four sets that we have so far for standard 22 that I'm willing to pick up deep because they do have that multi-format viability. Yeah. Whereas I just, because there's no standard metagame here where I'm at. You know, there's no shops that do standard. They do modern. They do pioneer. Same. They do pop. We, so. we are out of uh, shops that want to do standard right now. People are looking at modern and sealed, and that's it. Because we've been out of touch with paper standard for so long that you know nobody was really buying in the same quantity they were previously from the lgs yeah. right so people just don't have the product to put standard decks together so you give people the time to recoup and kind of come back and buy into the game and you know maybe next year is when we'll start seeing uh stuff come together um what's well, it it's interesting you said that there's a sealed game sealed meta game there because that's something we don't have is that something that usually happens pre-rotation that you found uh no Where, like they'll pivot to sealed or is that just a permanent fixture um my uh so the three LGS in the area that held events, the one I play Modern at rotates, I think, depending on the number of Fridays in a month, X minus one is Modern, and one is uh, Draft, and okay. then they swap over to, I think, two weeks of Sealed for a set release. Okay. The, the one I primarily played at when I was, not, uh, when I was playing more Standard, now... Uh, only really wants to do sealed on Fridays, but they've changed their model. So if there are enough people to fire sealed on Friday, they will fire sealed. Otherwise, it's EDH. Prior okay. to the pandemic, Wednesday was always sealed, and they rotated standard and sealed on Fridays. Then the third LGS in the area does uh, non-round capped modern on Mondays, I think there's another event in the week during the week that's constructed and their Fridays might be sealed as well. But from what I heard from them this past weekend, nobody really wants to play AFR sealed right now. They're having problems selling the product, despite the fact that I've heard nothing but good things about it, which is formats awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I can't. I, I don't really know, but sealed has been the longest running kind of format here because it is the most attainable for the largest number of players here. Do you find that that makes it easier to pick up those standard cards that you're looking at for the standard 22 and kind of like do the reverse of what I'm doing where you can unload like triumphs and stuff, not that you necessarily want to into those new standard cards? Yeah, it was really easy. Um, I would know who to talk to outside of the outside of events, um, and usually that allowed me to pay cash instead of trade. Um, okay, because those yeah. people were either rotating into moto or arena just to play more sealed because that's what they did. Um, yeah. Anybody that kind of crisscrossed over, it was uh, an easy trade. You know, just take the stuff they don't want, give them the stuff they need. Um, easy peasy. A lot of those players are pretty targetable, so I'd know what I need ahead of time. Yeah. Like, I know who my mono green forever player is, you know. <laughs> I know I know the people who are gonna to to net deck stuff, so I, yeah. I could bring a pretty curated binder to events to pick up excess uh, sealed cards or cards that people wouldn't play. The difficulty is when the sealed community and the EDH community overlaps. So for me, trying to trade at a pre-release for cards that are just opened is kind of difficult. But if yeah. I go to a pre-release with the intent of picking up EDH cards from the EDH players, then I know how to curate what I uh, what my binder is going to have and i know who i'm going to be working with that weekend fair that makes sense but um as far as rotation goes yeah people since nobody was buying cars up here for the longest time it was very easy to pick up anything i wanted even at a reduced price um i know your area is similar but a little more affluent so stores are probably buying at a better price so a little more difficult most likely for you with this kind of stuff though right uh, it was until we had, you know, Miniature Market closed their magic department and they were the big singles store in the area. Yeah. And now there's been one that's kind of stepped up in the meantime. But it was interesting because the pandemic, you know, it shut a couple stores down and a couple stores prior to that had actually already decided, hey, we're not going to do magic anymore. We don't want to devote the time or energy. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, you know, the one store kind of propped everything up and then backpackers went in and hoovered up the rest. Yep. Um, but we were able to pay lower. You know, I used to pay 65 to 70. I was able to pay 55 to 60 on a lot. Yep. Uh, and that made it a lot easier. And the, the other thing was I found, and I'm still finding, similar to I'm sure you, anything in standard that I pick up, I can pay absolute dirt on compared to like a fetch land or something that sees play in modern because there's not a whole lot of demand for it. Yes. So this is a time where, you know, were I so inclined, I could pick up a bunch of stuff from Kaldheim, from, you know, the DFCs I'm picking up in mass as I can. And it, it's interesting because I'm curious, you know, those of you watching, feel free to chime in on Twitter, YouTube, wherever you see this. Uh, I'm curious what your metagame's like in terms of your market meta. If, you know, the listeners out there have the same experience where standard just seems dead to them in their area right now. Um, I think, you know, one thing I'm also looking at with what's coming up with our, you know, rotation happens when Innistrad 3 Electric Jamboree happens. I think this yes. is 3, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so when that happens is when we have this rotation. So I'm actually also, you know, knowing that we're going to a previous area that we've been to that has a very consistent theme of your classic gothic vampires versus werewolves type conflict with angels thrown in here and there. What are some things that might be improved by that? You know, I, when I chimed in a while ago with my Una's Blackguard pick, I said Dungeons and Dragons was the set because rogues were in it. 
mm-hmm. and we could see some kind of tribal stuff. Yeah. Um, that's another thing I pay attention to when rotation happens is what are some tribes that are going to get more eyes if we have a tribal set coming, which in this case we do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, vampires and werewolves. All right, so what are some undervalued cards in that is something I'm targeting as well as part of this rotation because when standard happens and we see this dip i want to be there for the spike on some of the stuff yeah no it makes sense it's just for me there's a lot of noise between throne core 2021 and and theros yeah between the bannings that happened with uh theros and throne cards right that just kind of soured people on a lot of those cards overall in those sets yeah it seems like it's just really hard to find good homes for a lot of stuff like i was just looking at um theros because i was honestly curious what the most expensive card in the set was and it's croxa croxa is 25 dollars uro is 12 you know and that 12 is propped up i think a little bit by legacy but primarily is going to be by commander players right now yeah and so it's like where does that card go that's difficult to want to you know pony up to but then at the same time in in theros you have heliad suncrown which is part of the Walking Ballista combo in Modern, yeah. which you can play in EDH. And so you have, like, a banger like that, and then you have um, Mothra out of Akoria, um, mm-hmm. a card that people went nuts for that I can't remember what it does off the top of my head. It's Mothra. Yeah, I... yeah, yeah, but, like, <laughs> what's the underlying card? Yeah, I don't remember what the underlying card Luminous is. Luminous Brood Moth. That's right. Whatever creature you control without flying dies, return to the battlefield under its owner's control with a flying counter on it. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. just another uh, Saka. Not Sakala, but part of the uh, Burning Pot style combo where you can just keep recurring a creature if you have a way to remove the counter. And there are obviously a large number of ways to do that. Um, yeah. It also seems kind of disparate, these sets, with what's coming up. So you mentioned looking at, uh, at Theros. And for me, this set is kind of... These, four sets are kind of disjointed from what's upcoming aside from core which is always a smattering of goodness uh you know throne of eldraine was all about fairy tales so you'll have obviously some fape i think there's um you have some nobles some stuff weird stuff like that uh robert the rich saw you obviously have humans and rogues in here but as far as going deep on like vampires or werewolves you have um the ambush werewolf from the core 21 Yes, um, uh, Night Pack Ambusher. Night Pack Ambusher, and that's really all I could kind of come up with, aside from Dog Token. Yeah. From Core 2021, like, to me, this seemed kind of, a lot of this seemed kind of disparate. But at the same time, you do have some bangers in Core 2021 that that aren't just Ugin. Massacre Worms in that set. Yeah. Azusa is in that set. So those are really, really good targets. Um, right now... Grim Tutor. Yeah, Grim Tutor for 14. Fiery Emancipation, 17. That's going to be an easy pickup. Um, Terra the Peak is currently 20. It's a card I've been waiting to, to dip for a while since it's not really being played in the combo deck anymore. That's that's an easy scoop because it goes straight into Edish. I actually think that Core 2021, if I was going to be targeting a set, might be the one I, I go after with, uh, or the most fervently compared to the rest. Yeah. Is there one in particular? Yeah, so I, I love the fact that there... And- Core 21 specifically has so many bangers for EDH yeah. that are seeing play in standard, like every single card you listed off. There's also, obviously, Grim Tutor is being held up exclusively by EDH demand. That's a card that I believe in long term. Yep. And I think, yes, long term is great, but I don't think it has anything to do with standard, obviously. No, 
uh, in terms of like core 21, the cards that I specifically want to do, uh, terror of the peaks, I think is great. And Eugene are the yep. two, those do everything. I think elder Gargaroth is another good one that has long-term potential for constructed. It does so much. It's got so many keywords on it. It can't uh, not be it, good. It, it does everything. I'm staying away from Teferi. Yep. Uh, I, th I think Teferi's a trap. I think most of the Planeswalkers from that are a trap. I think Heroic Intervention is another card that's similar to Grim Tutor, has a lot of long-term EDH viability. Mm -hmm. It may see a little bit of a dip at rotation, but it's been consistently $5, 7 $10 since it was printed in Aether Revolt. I think that's just a solid, like, you'll never lose money on it. Yeah. But yeah, for, for me, Elder Gargaroth is one. I think Fabled Passage is another. If we don't get Fabled Passage in a future core set. Because that seems like the kind of card that would be, here's our staple. We're going to put yes, Negate yeah. in the core set. We're going to put Naturalize in the core set. We're going to put Fabled Passage in the core set. Just because it's good fixing for everyone. Yeah. Uh, the core 2021 printing of Fabled Passage uh, spoke similarly to me as well where it feels like this is going to be the perennial fetch land for standard and i think that's fine it yeah. just as you were alluding to is a little dicey to want to make it a spec target right now um, exactly because we won't know until we get the next actual core product yeah i i think one of the most fascinating cards from the set and you mentioned it was massacre worm especially because the full art is about four to five dollars yeah which is absurd for a card that was $40 before this printing. And I get it. It was only in Mirrored and Besieged, which wasn't a very heavily open set. Nope. Okay, fine. There's still no reason that a chase version of that card, in my mind, should be 4 to $5. I feel like that's one of those cards that that should be the buy list for that card. So that's another one that I'm looking at, specifically the alternate art on Massacre. It's uh, all, every other version of massacre worm has the same art as well except yeah. for the full art so it makes it the unique art for it um yeah the core 20 core 2021 has has a bunch of stuff that I, i'd expect to go up in uh, after rotation um for me it's just like i said i'm looking forward so i was looking at zendikar the mdfc's i mentioned I, yeah. i'm kind of in a, a weird spot when it comes to call time in particular uh goldspan dragon and boron collector are obviously like the two most expensive cards in that set right but does that hold i'm not sure Goldspan yeah. Dragon has an infinite mana combo in Core 2021 right now, so whether that plays out or continues to after the next few sets, I don't really know because all we have is just a small glimpse of a world without the Innistrad sets. So I'm hard-pressed to believe that it maintains its price tag. I would expect it to tumble heavily uh, into rotation, and that's probably where I would look to pick that up. Similarly yeah. with Vorinclex, I don't think it's going to hold a $30 price tag because of EDH. And with the Sultide decks gone from the format, that's the ultimatum, it's going to tumble as well. And that's when I would start to look at Vorinclex in particular. After that, yeah. it's a very stark drop-off to Valky, God of Lies, which is a good card overall. Right now, propped up a little bit by Constructive Play, mostly by EDH. And I think that's a fine card to look at, especially for long-term value. And if I was going to look at Valky, I would look at the alt art. I think there's yeah. a lot of legs on the alt art uh, because it's unique and interesting. And then after that, the list just kind of falls off into a coma. Yeah, like, oh, I... Epiphany. Yeah, Arlen's Epiphany, I think, is a really good one. One of the ones that I would have been super high on had MH2 not happened would have been Toski. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we have a better Squirrel Commander than Toski. So even that card is kind of Toast-ski. Yeah. After, and that was bad. I feel bad for that. But the one thing it has going for it, 
um, that Chatterfang doesn't is that in most of the green decks that are currently in play in standard, you do see a couple copies of Toski just because yeah. of the draw card trigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the draw card trigger is good. I still, for for me, there's one card in Kaldheim that I am like I will go as deep as I possibly can on. Uh, is it Catwagon? Tivar. Okay. That's a four dollar elf planeswalker. Tybar That's Cal. ridiculous. Yeah. I, I I don't understand that. That that boggles my mind that this card is only four dollars. Oh yeah, it turns every elf into a landwar elf. Tyvar Cal. Yeah. 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 Like it tap add a black, it pumps stuff, it makes dudes, and it gets a, you know Whatever you better glimpse them. emblem. Yeah. I mean that's ridiculous. But yeah, and at, at four mana, it does everything you want. It protects itself, it pumps guys, it has an impactful emblem. Yep. So that's that's the one that I will say over any other card in that set, I am going for. And there's maybe, maybe Realm Walker, which I know was something I believe you picked previously. Uh, um, I just, changelings are good. Yeah. That's It's a green tribal card. Yeah, I, green I, loves tribes. Yep, I, I, I think that was an early pick into the set. The other, the other card I watch is um, Eska's Chariot, because it always gets looks yep. in different decks in Standard, because it doubles the tokens, which is something I missed when I called it as an early spec. I looked at it mainly as, like, the Catwagon portion of it, thematic, etc. But yeah. what happened immediately was it was put in the Sultai Ultimatum deck with Vorinclex, and you give your opponent a really difficult choice of, okay, I'm going. you can either give me Vorinclex, Arlen's Epiphany, Catwagon, or um, Cure Best the Sea God, and if you attack with the cat wagon after making an 8-8 kraken you just duplicate the kraken token and i think that like the uh the chariot has a lot going for it and like at a, a dollar and change it really seems like a, a an easy pickup as long as uh there's kind of a, a token strategy that we can key off of long-term edh value i don't know if it really carries it over two to three dollars but i think a standard play definitely could so if this were to continue to tumble or stagnate at a dollar it's just something i might look at anyway in the thought that we'd see more in standard um, yeah I, no no Kaltheim was i think one of the better sets that wasn't core 21 yeah out of the last year okay. uh, i think the one card that i'm going to continue to look at because i think it's just too expensive right now before it rotates is Embercleave. Yeah. Like $8 right now, and I think that's an okay price for it, but as we head into uh, rotation, I'm hoping it tumbles below 5 and that's why I would, I would pick that up. It's it's not the premier equipment for a lot of things, but it can be a premier equipment in a lot of things, and that's kind of what I expect. Whether or not it sees Pioneer play or Modern play, uh, TBD on that one, but it yeah. definitely should have a home in Commander. There, there's, like... Boros is one of the top color combinations for equipment decks in EDH, yeah. and this slots right in really easily. Uh, it's not oppressive, but it gets the job done, and this is definitely a card I would keep my eye on, especially if it just moves into freefall mode. If it ever dips below five headed towards three, I think that's another oh, slam yeah. dunk to pick up. Absolutely. It it The fact that it has flash, too, is one of the things that providing Boros EDH with combat tricks is always good. Yep. And I think that this is the kind of card that, yes, it it sees a ton of play right now in Standard. It, it just does. It's an incredibly good, aggressive card, but I do think part of the price is being held up by Standard. Yeah, so, yeah, I think if it goes below 5, you go as deep as you can. Yeah. 
conversely, Shadow Spear, I don't think drops at all. That thing's already no. got a $20 price tag on it from, no. like, formats where you can't play Stoneforge Mystic. So I assume that one's not going to drop, but it might be worth keeping your eye on as well because it does a lot of interesting things, and one of them is remove indestructibility. Permanent your opponent's control, lose hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty that, good. Yep, that's pretty good and unique and something I would keep an eye on, but I would not expect to drop that much. No. Alright, was there any is there anything in Strixhaven that you're targeting for future rotation? Um I you know, I always wanted Professor Onyx to be better than it was. Um and I don't think it'll ever pop. No. And I thought Professor Onyx would be linked to Arena Rector, which just tutors a Planeswalker straight out of your deck, and yep. it's just a backup kill condition with Chain of Acid or yeah. Chain of Green. Smog. Yeah, yeah, yeah Acid Green and, and Black, yeah. That's right. Uh, that yeah. was about it. Strixhaven just kind of seems a little underwhelming right now. Uh, overall uh, expressive iteration uh, I don't think that's not going to go down that's only going to hold that card is ridiculous it's played everywhere yeah. um, let's see there was man Valmachus Lorehold is going to hold price because of modern you can play the time warp deck as a Jeska version now yep. um, with indomitable creativity which is cool uh Magma Opus, that's the name of the card I was thinking about. Oh, yeah. Yep. I don't know if this card gets any better or any worse, but it's probably the one I would keep my eye on from this set overall. Uh, it's, you know, $2, but I don't know if it's... like you got to do a lot of work to, yeah. to make this card viable. And 8 is a lot, and unless we you get a lot of Mana Elves... Which we do have in Forgotten Realms. We have um, Gaius Cradle Elf, right? Yeah, we do. Um, like that's the only way I could see Tyvar. Tyvar Kel rotates, but yeah, that's the only way I could see this card uh, actually being worthwhile. Yeah, that's fair. Circle of Realms Druid. Circle of Dreams Druid. Yeah, Circle of Dreams Druid. Three mana, tap, add green for Cradle. Yeah. And uh, it's the Book of Exalted Deeds is the card I was stumbling over before. That's the that's card they the banned. One. Yep. Yeah. Right. So that's eleven dollars right now. It's part of the infinite, or not the infinite. It's part of the combo in Center Twenty Twenty Two that ensures you can't lose the game, and your opponent just essentially mills themselves out. Yep. Um, that is a card I would expect to drop off from its price tag, and then you could probably pick up. And it's weird might wake up and it's worth 20 bucks again one day who knows yeah it's it hits a couple of weird notes so it has to go the token has to go onto an angel which plays yeah. into the tribal theme and it makes an angel if you gain three or more life which continues to plays into the tribal theme but it also plays into like the dirtily angel tribal theme was it like sigil of the empty throne and stuff like that where you want yeah. to be like just chilling back and gaining life so this is a card that i can see dropping to nothing and then picking up over time because it just slots into the super into like the super casual uh angel deck or maybe something weird with uh olaro where you gain two life uh in your upkeep it's just one more yeah. life on top of that it can't be that hard to figure out and then boom you start pooping out three three angels 
every turn. I I think yeah it it does hit all of the casual markers and I think that that is same probably the one card in AFR that I would target would be Book of Exalted Deeds I think another good one would be the three mana Lich that goes infinite with a Lauren uh, but that price would not be upheld by standard would be the thing yeah uh, because if the combo is a Lauren. It's the one that basically you just adventure with Aluren forever yeah, yeah, and bounce yeah. it using Cavern Harpy um, and just kill your opponent. But yeah. that would be the only other one I would target, and that would be mostly... I mean, that price isn't going to be upheld by standard, though, unfortunately. No, people people lost their shit when they saw that. That's right, I yeah. remember. Rightfully so. Card's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure... Sh- sure what's going to happen with a lot of these classes i know ranger class is seeing a ton of play right now and uh in 2022 and it's, uh, it's been in a lot of videos recently for star city so it's got a six dollar price tag because of that i don't know if that holds or drops but it seems like a lot of the other classes are just hovering between two and three dollars and kind of a, a lot of them just seem really medium yeah um, so i don't know if i would actually pay attention or just dismiss them almost immediately um i thought wizard looked pretty good but apparently fighter seems to be one of the next best ones yeah, that's what I've heard. Although, again, I think I'm in the dismiss video, the dismiss camp yep. more than anything. It's just like, nah, whatever. Yeah, You're fighter out. class just gets you an equipment. It's like a secondary pure steel paladin. Um, yeah, and then it just kind of, uh, assumedly, takes over the game from there. So that'd probably be the only one, the only other one I really take a look at. But because it's equipment based, and we don't really have many equipment based decks in standard, again, that would be a price propped up by something like EDH and not constructed. So for um, sure. I, I I agree with your previous summation. Alrighty, you got anything else? No, I think that's it in regards to the standard and the summer lull. Yeah. I think I'm also going to move on to my pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All right, you went Who first goes first? Week, so this one's fine. Yeah. 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 Alright, so uh, I'm picking Overwhelming Stampede this week. Uh, this is a card I've been monitoring since December. And I was specifically monitoring the Magic... Uh, 2011 version because it was going to be the lowest print run out of out of sure. standard set printings, uh, not commander set printings, right? And in December, CK was buying 38 at a dollar 35. TCG saw 75 at 186. Uh, on Friday, TCG was buying 24 at two dollars five, and somebody sold them 24 at two dollars five. And TCG player had 88 at 358, right? So. CK continued to buy up the price over time. TCG player, the market price has continued to rise while stock continues to hit, which is kind of what we've seen with a lot of my picks recently. It's like as these cards finally go up in value, people are ready to get rid of them and you know make a little bit of hay while the sun's shining. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say about Overwhelming Stampede is that this is no triumph of the hordes, but they do play well together. So, Overwhelming Stampede, when you take a look at this card on Wreck, and I'll bring that up real quick, and you take a look at the generals, you know, you're going to see that this is basically a go-wide-with-creatures, not token strategy, and you top out with some fatty boom-booms. So, uh, all said and told, it's a fairly vanilla strategy, but you can turbo the process with some tight builds. It seems the primary difference in builds is whether or not your big dummy is your general, or if you employ several within the main. And yeah. 
the overall strategy is very approachable, but can be built to suit anything from a more casual style of play to aggressively quick and reliable. And this gives Stampede demand from a number of quote-unquote sources and provides a solid base for speculation. So what I mean by sources is just like the Timmy crowd, people who want to be a little more aggressive and win the game by uh, attacking, and spanning the gamut between the two. So as there is no prescribed build to best suit overwhelming stampede that means with each new set and giant dummy watsy prince we add more fuel to the fire that is the demand for this card so all said and told as there really is no there's no gatekeeping factor i expect this to be a solid player across the format especially as threats become more efficient and card draws so readily accessible and available making playing out and drawing into this card a fairly easy game plan to repeat and for me that last little bit is kind of the most important over the last few years, Green has received a ton of card draw, and being able to find this card reliably and end the game quickly makes it a lot better look than it did previously. So you no longer have to run uh, Overwhelming Stampede secondary to Triumph of the Hordes alongside Overrun. You can run just one or two of these effects total. You don't need to go so deep because you can draw so many more cards now with Green. So... This is finally recovering from its stagnation, and I'll bring up the, I'll tighten up the graph on stocks for you where you can see it. Oops, this one. So it's finally recovering from its uh, drop in price uh, into Theros Beyond and stagnation from there. Well, with waning supply, my expectation for profit to buy list should be in about six months. If you were to buy in now, I don't think we're going to get any single card that pushes up our timeline, and it's such a block. It's such a blase card and strategy that even if this were a kill con in a number of content videos i don't expect that to really ratchet up demand no. you know you know triumph of the hordes has a much larger price tag because it's, it's an uncommon and a small set that does a very specific thing and allows you to just win seemingly out of nowhere like overwhelming stampede but uh, with a completely different strategy uh, overall i'd be happy to sit on a number of these copies for a year and or more to let them accrue value over time and in the interim if i really wanted to out a few copies i would just place them in my binder and i just yeah. out them and trade this is such an easy card to get rid of to people who just want to play chonky boys and it should be easy 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 to move so i mentioned reprints uh earlier so we have uh, magic 2011 and then we have commander 2014 commander 2015 Modern Masters 2015, Commander 2019, and Commander Anthology, all as reprints for this card. And even during that time, it was still increasing in value. It was really only in August 2019, so uh, right around Commander 19, where this finally just took a hit. Demand, demand just dried. And now we're finally seeing it come back with all these like great green creatures over the last couple of years. And like I said, the ability to just draw so many more cards now. And I, I think that's one of the important things about this is that win cons like this in green were always great, but it didn't have the support within green to be able to reliably find it without being redundant and running your triumph of the hordes, your overruns, your overwhelming stampedes and having like 10 versions. And now you actually have like your two best versions, overwhelming stampede and triumph of the horde and enough draw to support those as being a reliable win condition for those decks. And I think that's why, yeah. you know, you mentioned, you know, more creatures that we get, more draw that we get, the better this card is yeah. just by benefit of how Wizards is designing the game now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just kind of surprising in between this card's release in 2011 and now how good the creatures have become. 
and how good this card has become alongside that. And I think a lot of the reason demand was just so low for so long is that this card was so bad for so long by virtue of a lack of efficiency in creatures to play alongside it that people just kind of set it aside and that was that. It came in a couple pre-cons and then hooty hoo, nobody gave a shit anymore. Yeah, it was, it was done. Yeah. Sure. All right. I think it's good. I think timeline is solid. I think, you know, the concern would be obviously, oh, but what about, you know, reprints? Well, it, as you mentioned, when you look at the stocks graph, the reprints didn't really hurt the value of the card at all. No. It kind of just maintained and continued to grow. So yeah. I think solid, solid choice overall. Um, I'm going in a little bit different direction, but one that's keeping thematically with what I've been doing lately. Flame Staying flame. green. We're going Retro Frame Ignoble Hierarch. Yep. So, uh, these cards are not popular. Uh, the, the Retro Frames, the foils, nobody cares. They they would rather, and this, this is surprising to me, because what I figured was we would get Retro Frames, everyone would want to foil everything. Yep. Uh, except that now you actually can just old border your entire Legacy decks that you couldn't do before. Because all of a sudden you have Chalice and all these other cards, and you don't want to foil because your duels will never be foil. So what I am seeing is people do not care about the retro foils. They care about the retro non-foils. That said, prices are tanking on these cards because we're getting more MH2. You know, when Marrow came out and said this is an on-demand set, people thought it was bullshit. Like, there's no way we're getting an on-demand set with the way printing has been, with the way supply has been, whatever. MH2 seems to be an on-demand set. We're actually getting regular stock of this at a distributor. So while that's happening, people are still buying up packs, they're still opening up, and you're seeing cards like Ignoble Hierarch, which are staple-worthy cards. The retro versions, so the ones you want for your eternal formats, are steadily tanking. Yep. So if you take a look at TCG Player, the low right now, for ignoble is 13.75 in the retro frame the foil is 16 dollars. nobody wants this card nobody wants this card in foil don't know why they seem to have largely fixed the foiling so i'm picking this as a market trend your retro border non-foil cards i think this is signaling will be the desired version from this set these will be the ones that people will try to go after, that they'll want a little bit more. Is it twice as much as the non-retro? Absolutely. Does it do the same exact thing? Absolutely. Yep. Eternal players don't care. They do not care. No. I, whatever. You want to you trade a two-for-one on this? I would do that all day long. Because I guarantee you the retro border within about a year will have more appreciation than the regular border. On the value. So if you need these, if you want these, now is the time to pick them out. I think you're looking at probably about a year to profitability on these. So be forewarned, we're in for the long haul with these. But when you have them in a year, you will get your money's worth absolutely. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this does depend on how events pan out. Uh, there have been a few vendors that have pulled out of Galveston, unfortunately. Supposedly, so I've heard. Uh... But if events keep happening, then these retro versions are going to be the things that you'll want to see in your expedition case. They're going to be the things that you're going to get asked for at a booth. They're going to be the ones that people are going to trade for. So pick them up now yep. 
get them at about 20 to 30 percent below low if you can understand that you're in there for the long haul these are going to stick around because it is an at will set i don't think we're quite at the low on these yet uh you know you look at the stocks graph for ignoble and it started at 100 then went to 30 40 you know the 50 area down to 20 and now we're sitting at about 13 so we're about as low as we've been but as events start to pick up as paper magic becomes more important this is the kind of card that is going to see an uptick in price especially as star city brings back their tour and we have modern and legacy season where these cards will really shine Mm -hmm. that's my soapbox i'm off i think it's a good soapbox to stand on especially bringing up the the barrier to entry for the entirety of the deck yeah when it comes to this stuff you know your duels like you mentioned will never be foil uh i don't know how long ago it was but i when i was uh, reading through dredge primers for vintage and people were like yeah i foil my dredge deck and i'm like cool i'll just cut to your bizarre and then ding yeah. you out of this event via the judge like because yeah. you'll never foil 60 of 60 and it'll be a problem right and i had a local ask last week why nobody was buying foil retro and there was a bunch of conversation around it and one of the things that kind of came of it was look at modern players don't even go back to legacy players you look at modern players and if they are playing onslaught fetches those are back up in the range of 50 to 100 dollars, depending on what they are and if they didn't buy the foils when they were in their dip now they're entirely sol so why so you're chasing down something that you could never finish You, you might never finish this passion project when it comes to EDH players, they're going to want some of these retro fo- retros, but not all of them. So some of them are going to hold a premium, absolutely, like the fetches. But then things like Ignoble Hierarch are just going to fall by the wayside. And I think it's a lot of these constructed cards that present the best opportunity right now and in the future. Uh, there's a chance, I haven't checked the retros for fetches, but there's probably still money to be made there as well. Um, yeah, they're, they're not, their dip is not as bad. You know, they're not down 80% the way an ignoble is, but they're definitely down from what they were at. Yeah, and I, I think this, it, like I said, it's a, it's a good soapbox to stand in. I think this is a, a, a good call out to make, especially for ignoble, because it's seeing play in a number of places. Uh, you know, it makes red and green. It makes black and green. And you know what? You don't get that from a lot of creatures that aren't Birds of Paradise. So it definitely has a home in a number of formats. I, and I like the card and the call out. The timeline seems decent too, especially if we continue to get... Uh, Modern Horizons releases, like we did Modern Horizons 2, like we did Modern Horizons originally, and this is going to be a card in that tradition where it'll be at a price for close to a year, and then once Modern Horizons 2 disappears, you'll know it because all those cards spike. Uh, So, fun fact, I just looked it up. Today is the lowest retro border Verdant Catacombs has ever been, so there is definitely money to be made on those as well. So, yeah, I... I agree. I, I like I like the pick. I like the call out overall for retro frame because it just seems to be something that's kind of sneaking along right now. A lot of people aren't really talking about it. They're looking at uh, something's with larger optics, but I think this is great overall. Yeah. Anything else before we cut up? Let's do it. All right. Nope. So that has been MTG Cabalcast for this week, and you can find the podcast on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, you can find we have a Patreon at MTG Cabalcast there. You can reach us directly at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter. The audio version of the podcast is on Google Play, Apple Play, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you want to, I think I got them all. 
Audible? Yeah, that's Audible. Yeah, Audible. That's right. Uh, yeah. There we go. If you want to reach me on Twitter, I am at Halt I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.